0: All right, what's up, you guys? This is Rome Nagus in space, space Nagus. Um, speaking with someone today, diehard Trek fan, to the point that he's actually in the process of doing some uh, reviews. One of which I read, uh, through a Star Trek group, and I can't remember which group it was. You know, can you tell me which group you're you're posting those to?
1: I, I post usually on a rotation to Star Trek shit posting, Star Trek comrade posting, left book Star Trek shit posting, and uh, Star Trek memes. I've been going for about two years with this now. So they've it, it, gotten all over the place.
0: I got you. Um, so right now, I'm speaking with Edmund, and I want to say Schlussel? Schlussel?
1: Schlussel, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm Dr. Edmund Schlusel. My pronouns are they, them. I live in Helsinki, Finland. By day, I teach high school math. And on the side, I'm a sci-fi writer.
0: And now that we have that, once again, uh, this is technically Speaking. And I guess we'll start with what is your first Trek memory?
1: First Trek memory. I don't remember what order it all happened in. I know that The first live-action episode I saw was a rerun of um, The Tholian Web, and I I remember seeing that episode. I'm sure that was the first live-action one I saw, but I don't remember if I actually saw the animated series first. This would have been 1983 or 4. We would have just gotten cable TV, and the cartoons were running on Nickelodeon, so one of those two. Um, let's call it the Tholian web. It sounds better if it's the live action one.
0: Right. And that, of course, being a classic episode in and of itself. Um, I've always sort of wished that we got more Tholian interaction. They've always sort of just been at the periphery.
1: Yeah. They're they're one of the few times we venture out into something really non-humanoid and have a big conversation with them. Um, the thing about the original series is it, the conception of the galaxy in the original series is basically it's earth you can get around it in a couple of weeks um the the klingons are pretty heavily coded as being east asian um and it's when we look out into the intergalactic that we see the really truly weird stuff but in The Tholians Tholians and the Horta in Devil in the Dark, those are two times when the writers really stretch themselves and and start talking with non-humanoids and making things difficult from the heroes from the perspective of how do we even communicate with these people.
0: Right, and um, I wanna say, the only and I might be wrong because I'm not I'm not a thousand percent on the uh, TOS episodes but was Enterprise the first time that you actually saw the Tholians like in first time the you flesh saw the as it were? Half of
1: one. Yeah, you, you saw so them on the view screen in TOS and then you see one as a prisoner in Enterprise in In a Mirror, Darkly and the Tholians also show up in Enterprise I forgot the name of the episode but they're trying to retrieve Uh, temporal cold war thing they're they're not really fleshed out but they are uh, in enterprise presented as very non-humanoid and very different
0: i would love to see them in discovery and just see like what with the discovery budget and like graphics and whatnot what they could make the tholians appear as and that's one of the few races where i don't think people would be too upset with whatever artistically they decided to do with them
1: Yeah, well, people don't seem to have objected to the Gorn redesign so much either. With the Klingons, I get get some of it because I don't think the actors can act as well in the heavy makeup that that, that the new Klingons have. But um, yeah, people got really weird about how it's not just like it was in the 1980s.
0: Most definitely. Most definitely. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, you have a sentimental attachment to it. I know uh, people were very jubilant when they realized that, you know, Worf in Picard season three was going to look like Worf of, you know, TNG DS9 era. So, you know, I think it's just, I guess, an emotional attachment.
1: There's they, Some of it is, yeah, people want the familiar. Um, although I think from what I saw from that one photo, they have done some modifications with Worf's makeup to sort of bring the bring the different makeups together, but um, you know all of this exists in in a context. It, it, there's that one Voltaire song: "What is with the Klingons? Remember in the day they looked like Puerto Ricans and they dressed in gold lame." Um, the the way that they've been approaching makeup on the one hand there was Roddenberry's admonition that there should never be full head coverings for whatever reason but also it's it's like I was saying about the galaxy being earth is that the racial coding for the Klingons was just something that could not be ignored anymore and decisions that were made in you know the all-white or generally all-white uh tv production ethos of 1966 did not hold up under even the slightest amount of examination in 2020
0: right i don't see in when we talk about the racial coding of the klingons let me ask you this are you do you mean that as far as like you were saying like the east asian sort of ethos or are you saying like the fact that like they're quote-unquote wearing like blackface
1: Well, there's both of that in there. Um, Star Trek, the original series, used blackface a lot. Um, And none of the episodes, other than the ones with the Klingons, where they use it, are particularly well-remembered. There's, what is there, the Paradise Syndrome, where Kirk loses his memory and lives in a "quote unquote" Native American society, and there's a lot of actors in that episode playing red face. There's a private little war where uh, there is uh, there is blackface on the actor playing. Uh, I think her name is Natira. Uh, no, no, that's not right. Uh, but the priest, the priestess in that episode, and and it's this general association with exoticism, and they're meeting strange new civilizations in the sense that they are they are non-Western. Um, now, as far as the Klingons specifically, um, there's a lot of the, the, the sort of yellow peril panic in, in how the Klingons were written. I mentioned in the pre-interview the idea that they have this collective ethos, which, which core talks about in, uh, Aaron of mercy. And there's the idea that, that, yeah, they're different from how the humans are approaching things. At the same time, there's this layer of this is how they think in China and the Chinese are completely incomprehensible to us Westerners, which was a very, very big idea in the 1960s. Um, And and so I, I don't think you can separate the two ideas, the one that it's a sort of generic darkening for the sake of generic otherness and then and then the idea that they're the Klingons are being specifically coded as being as being East Asian uh, for the sake of making uh, a parallel with uh, how the Cold War was perceived.
0: Right. Um, and I will say I did a video about this um, specifically like Klingons in blackface personally me. And this could be, you know, my age. This could be when I was introduced to Trek. I never really felt like the Klingons were in blackface because to me, blackface would almost have to have the context of like, I'm doing, I'm darkening my skin. So like the literal part of it, but also, Mm -hmm. and I'm also trying to parody or mimic a black person. Mm -hmm. So that's why to me, I was always like, well, no, it's not blackface because they're obviously not trying to be black people. They're just this uh, alien species just happens to have, you know, this pigmentation. Um, and also, one of the first Klingons that I remember seeing, like, for the first time was Worf, who was a black guy, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, how yeah. can this be blackface? And then I go back and I watch the TOSs and I'm like, oh, okay, okay, I sort of see where people are going with that. Um, but the way it was always in my head canon was the Klingons are the Russians, the Romulans are the Chinese. But okay. speaking with you, I can see what you're saying as well about just the 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 whole uh Orial Oral How am I trying to say this? Um like orientant orient based type mysticism, like oh they're mysterious, we don't know about specifically with the Romulans. Because they'd never seen them before, right? So how you get more yeah. mysterious than that? Um, so yeah, I get it. I think the word I was trying to say was uh Orientalism, like mm-hmm. the way they just sort of make them be this like uh exotic, like you were saying, possible threat. Um, but as far as like the blackface specifically, I, I sort of I sort of feel like I'll give them a pass on that, okay. just because I don't think the intent was to have these people have a quote-unquote stereotype of being black people per se?
1: Okay, I'll absolutely hear that. I think I'm using the word blackface in a more generic sense to talk about any sort of non-white racial coding, rather than specifically African.
0: Right. Like, um, let's let's get yeah. this guy to be this skin tone. Oh, you could hire someone like that. No, 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 we'll just get this white dude and paint him. Like,
1: yeah, yeah. But on top of that, with with this yeah this Orientalism character to it where they're othering you know the, the one of the things about the inconsistency in the original series is that every episode has a different writer and they don't even reuse directors a lot in the original series it's completely different from the next generation era onward where you know, like almost half the episodes are directed by vinrit uh, kobe in, in in the next in the next generation uh where where you, have very, uh, where you have a modern writer's room with a group of writers. Now TOS, you have changing ideas from episode to episode about portrayal. You have differing degrees of, uh, of Roddenberry's personal involvement. I will say with regard to the Romulans um, that when they're introduced in Balance of Terror, that episode is basically a straight lift of a submarine film. I forget which specific submarine film it is, but it is a film where the Enterprise is placing the role of the U.S. destroyer and the Romulan ship is the Japanese submarine. So there's, there, there's that part in the Romulan's DNA.
0: I could so see that. Like when you say that, I'm like, Oh yeah, of course this was a
1: submarine movie somewhere. Yeah. And- Star Trek does this a lot. Starship Down on, on uh, DS9 is basically a submarine movie up to and including that scene where part of the ship is being flooded and they have to seal the hatch, even though there's a crew member on the other side. That's from Das Boot.
0: Nice, nice. Um, since we're getting into different type shows, what, what is your favorite Star Trek show or do you have
1: one singular favorite? Depending on how, how much time I have to commit, I will gladly watch the final three series of Deep Space Nine over and over. Uh, I think that is some superb television writing. Um, if it's something that just I'm going to watch because it happens to be on, then I'll usually go with next generation. There are just so many individual standout episodes of next generation.
0: All right, so let me ask you, do you have a favorite captain? Oh, that's
1: a difficult question. Uh, Picard is the easiest answer, but Star Trek really wants Picard to be my favorite captain. The way that they have consistently portrayed him. It is Picard is not so much the successor to Kirk as he, as much as he is the successor to Spock. He is someone who is deeply thoughtful and doesn't really make big morally gray decisions the way Kirk does. I mean, you look at the original series, you look at the movies Kirk is constantly uh, a cowboy and constantly doing these things that can be interpreted as quite negative, but expedient. Um, But Picard is is just always the good guy, even when he is doing something vaguely deceptive or sneaky, which is not often, it is very clear that he is on the side of right against whatever alien race they're up against that week, against... The admirals of his own star fleet against whoever. He is always on the side of human rights and justice. So they really want the answer to be Jean Luc Picard for, for a favorite captain. If I go past that. Can,
0: can I interject and ask you yeah. one question? Yeah. <clears throat> so as far as what you're saying about Captain Picard, would that extend into the show Picard? Do you feel like he's still pretty much represented in that light?
1: The Picard as a show is a celebration of the character, and yeah, there is this—there um, is this putting him through hell, really. Like they—they—they they, they were very hard on him the second season. The new O'Brien. Uh, yeah, uh, they were. Uh, uh, what what Picard goes through is psychological torture. At the same time, it's the thesis of season one is Picard is the person who's right when the entire Federation is wrong. He is the one hero who overcomes two great injustices in 10 episodes. And in season two, Picard is the person who is so deep and wise that he is the person who can make the link between the Federation and the Borg. You know, and the character is strong enough that it's believable. It doesn't seem ridiculous that that happens. But um, yeah, the card is is basically uh, the, the savior of the Federation at this point.
0: Uh, spoiler alert for anyone listening. I'm assuming you've probably watched all this stuff if you're tuning in to hear us talk about Star Trek. But um, I think my favorite part, um, just personally, of Card Season 2. Was the payoff to when Guinan was talking to Ro Lauren about Picard, and she gave this like, like it was like, yeah, he came to me at like my lowest point, and it was just this really like, you were like, man, what could Guinan have possibly be possibly been going through the way she describes like Picard helping her, and then for so long everyone was saying, you know, it was the uh, the episode where they go back to the eighteen hundreds. And I was just always like she but she's not in this place of desperation there. So it doesn't really make sense that she's talking about that when she's talking about when she first met Picard. Then Picard season two happens and I'm like, okay, yes, this this circumstance seems to be what Guinan would have been talking about when she's telling Roe about this man saving her at the lowest point in her life when she was almost about to give up.
1: And it, I thought it really strengthened the character of Diane. I was very happy with uh, how she was portrayed in, in season two of Picard. Um, I, it's unfortunate that Guinan wasn't in uh, season seven of Next Generation because there were a lot of opportunities for that. But yeah, we, we got enough answers and enough depth that I'm I'm happy with Guinan's arc being completed in in a way that it wasn't in TNG. Uh, Actually, it draws a really nice parallel with Q because with both to Guinan and to Q, what Picard is doing is he is pleading on behalf of humanity and saying, yes, we do horrible things, but we are also capable of intense wonder and intense beauty. And that is why you need to give us a chance. makes essentially that same plea to Guinan as he did in the very first episode of next generation to Q.
0: That is such an awesome point. Like I didn't even, like you just said that and it makes so much sense and it's like, Oh wow. That, that, yeah, because yeah, he's literally both times pleading for this being that obviously has more power than humanity to basically like hey like help us out and picard's so solid as a human being so so you know rooted in the good that like these two beings powerful i won't say omnipotent but powerful beings decide like you're such a good dude yeah all right cool i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna do this i'm gonna help you out because you've presented humanity in such a good light um yeah that's amazing i also like the fact that at the end of the day picard had two bffs that were like i'm um, you know all powerful godlike beings but they hate each other but they both love picard so that's why like they never really have any issues with each other because of their respect i guess you would say or
1: love for picard yeah yeah and that 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 mutual respect is one of the things that really drives. I, I think all of Star Trek is that you have you can have intense intercharacter conflicts, but at the same time, the the core cast and the people, the, the, a lot of the the um, recurring characters around them, they all recognize that they're coming at the same idea from different perspectives that are all worth recognizing and discussing. It's one of the reasons, I think, why uh, Ronnie Cox's uh, character of Edward Jellicoe in Chain of Command provokes such strong reactions because in his dialogue with uh, Riker, especially in that episode, but also uh, with to an extent with Counselor Troy, um, there is not that same bond of respect apparent and you 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 can say from a military discipline perspective everything that jellico does is absolutely right and that Riker is in the wrong for being defiant and upset but there isn't he isn't part of the family it's almost
0: like jellico is season one picard if he stayed season
1: one picard that's a really interesting point, yeah. Yeah, uh, if, you, if you go back to even the, the draft script of encounter at Farpoint, Point, where the card was a much more remote character, uh, and, and someone who had this reputation of being impossible to work with, being strict and and not bad, but uh, distant and a bit inhuman. Yeah, that's something you see in Season 1. Um, I, I, if, In the reviews, in the post, one of my hobby horses is the episode Lonely Among Us from season one. And in Lonely Among Us, Picard teleports himself into being a being of pure energy. Leaves the Enterprise behind, leaves his crew behind, and goes out exploring on his own. He comes back, but the Picard of seasons two through seven would never even consider such a decision. And so this episode, which should be hugely consequential for the character, actually has to kind of get memory hold because it's so inconsistent with the way that Picard acts for the, the rest of the show.
0: Is this the one I'm trying to remember? Is that the one where the shuttlecraft, like they find with like the frozen Picard inside of it?
1: No, that, that that's Time Squared. Uh, Lowry okay. Among Us is... Um. The Enterprise is transporting the Sele and the Antikins to...
0: Oh, the the dog people, right?
1: Yeah, the dog people and the snake people.
0: Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha,
1: gotcha. And they pass by this nebula and they take a look. And every time on Star Trek, when they visit a nebula, something weird happens. Every nebula in the galaxy is haunted. But um, so they pick up this energy being who starts zapping the ship's systems and actually someone gets killed by it a a minor character assistant engineer sing um but then they figure out that it's this energy intelligence and picard decides that to be an explorer picard himself will transcend his material form and beam himself energy only back into the nebula so he can be this super explorer beyond time and space
0: yeah, that's well, it's out of character for uh Captain Picard. It might be in character for John Luke. Uh John Luke just because of his like archaeology type, you know. Um, but yeah, that's crazy because you definitely would not see later Captain Picards ever thinking abandoning the Enterprise would be like a good idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's a decision that only works if Captain Picard is completely at a remove from everything else that's going on it, it, it's the card that does go off on his own and become an archaeologist the the Picard that he pretends to be in um oh, oh what is it the are one you talking with, about the
0: one with galen
1: yes not not the first one with galen but where he Picard pretends to be galen
0: right right right
1: that that weird two parter with the Vulcan psychic weapon and
0: Yeah, uh, and then uh and then uh Riker joins the pirate crew too and
1: Yeah, yeah, that one.
0: Yeah, that was a wild episode.
1: Yeah, that that, that, that I, I don't even remember what it's called, but there's a lot of weirdness in that episode, but at the same time a lot of very familiar beats. I feel like they were running out of steam at that point.
0: And, and also, I don't know if I would ever, like even when uh, on Deep Space Nine, when there was a Vulcan member of the Mar- Marquis, I don't know if I would ever really trust a Vulcan to do anything that would be quote unquote illegal with me. It just seems like every Vulcan that's ever in a little gang or crew is like literally the cop, like undercover.
1: Well, this is one of the things that I think Enterprise actually did well, is they deepened the Vulcans so that... There was this very thin habit in characterizing the Vulcans up through Deep Space Nine and Voyager where anything that a Vulcan did, you would just say it's logical. And because the the Vulcan's intellect is so far beyond humans, well, they they must be right because they're smarter than we are and they say it's logical, so we're fine. Um, But then Enterprise introduced this idea That there are different Vulcan factions and different Vulcan philosophies and there were the people who were the true guardians of the way of Surak, and they were in opposition to the the Vulcan high command of the early seasons. Um, And and seeing that there was that life to Vulcan logic, that it wasn't this austere roboticism, uh, I think really, really strengthened the characterization of the species.
0: Definitely, definitely. Um, and also one of the things I liked about that was the fact that true to their nature, true to their form, even though the Romulans had, quote unquote, never been seen by any Federation members, you see the Romulans are well aware and, and actually infiltrating, you know, Vulcan high command. So almost anything the humans are doing, like they're on top of it because they're at the seat of power.
1: Yeah, yeah, and how different really are Vulcans from humans, and how different are Vulcans from Romulans? Uh, this is one another thing that Enterprise did well. Was there's this suggestion in uh, I think the episode Vulcan Forge, where one of the reasons why the Vulcans are like this, why they're even condescending paternalistic toward humans, is because Vulcans know that human that they're just like. That they hundreds of years ago are like humans are now, and in, in *Balance of Terror*, when the Romans are first introduced, Spock says, "My people had their brutal colonizing period." It, by the way, there's really interesting discussion to be had there around that that word "colonizing" specifically and the consciousness around that. Um, but the fact that in um, in *Discovery* we have the transformation of Vulcan into Nidhar and the idea that actually, yes, these two different peoples can coexist and find synthesis between these two outlooks. Um, and this recognition that Vulcans have chosen this path of logic and exterior calm because of this raging torrent inside them. That that. It, doesn't put it 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 changes vulcans from being in opposition to humans to changing uh it, it presents instead vulcans as being almost even more human bigger larger than life uh, subject to more intense passions
0: and it also um it also sort of makes you wonder too about what was it the men and Talkins. Like these little sub Vulcan groups that apparently somehow got from Vulcan to where they are, but then lost all uh technology you know, technological advances that would have allowed them to get there and and you know, just basically become these proto societies. Like that would be a fascinating like how did that happen?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and this this idea that societies have these uh, I don't like to use the word barbarian. It, it's much too loaded. But the, the, this this stage of violence and confusion. But actually, no, the, the talkins are not portrayed as wantonly violent. They're portrayed as actually quite reflective and uh, engaging in intellectual debate. Um, and they get, you know, one of the Mntalkins is played by Ray Wise, who is this very intense actor, who uh, actually gets, I think, fairly decent dialogue where he gets to reflect on um, you know, the nature of God and the nature of spirituality. That particular episode is, uh, it's it's almost like a better second draft of the first season episode where you have the people and the rompers running around, and Wesley steps on a plant and everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah because you have the same sort of dynamic of this low technology civilization uh, dealing directly with the nature of God in the form of someone who is from this immensely higher technology uh, civilization.
0: Definitely. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, like I almost you have to give a pass to the first season, but it's just like yeah. I would almost I would almost be interested if just for fun, like this isn't going to change anything canon wise, obviously, but if they just redid that whole season, just like. Digi- digitally change the outfits of like those those alien races and whatnot just to make it seem a little bit more plausible I would not be mad at that
1: yeah yeah I think about that sometimes too there are some some real gems in the first season the neutral zone is I think a really good episode that has lots of interesting things going on in the plot at once and um,
0: and I would love an update on those earth people too that got thought out
1: yeah i would love it too um and what's the other one it's ugly bags of mostly water what's that one um you know, they're, they're terraforming a planet and there are these crystals that live in the groundwater of the planet and the enterprise reaches out to them and realizes that actually there's an intelligence there is this tos and, uh, no this is tng season one um
0: oh man you stumped me
1: Home Soil, season one, episode eight. I, I just Googled that.
0: Okay, I'm going to have to go check that one out because I don't remember that one at all.
1: Yeah, there, there's some unusual touches to it. Like they try to portray um, the terraforming crew as being really international, but they nev- never really develop the characters of the uh, of the terraformers at all. Other than that, they're from three different places on Earth. Um uh, yeah, it, it 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 portrays some ideas which get elaborated on later on in in the next generation in, in stretching the boundaries of who can we make first contact with.
0: Well, yeah, definitely, cause um uh, like in TNG, all over the place, they're just trying to you know make contact or or recognize life, like uh the exocomps and um. Oh, I'm trying to think, uh, Hugh. You know what I'm saying? Like, just, just yeah. they're they're really like you're saying they're stretching the boundary of like what new life and new civilizations really means.
1: Yeah, and one of my favorite episodes is Measure of a Man, where literally they're debating, do we extend this recognition of humanity to data?
0: Which is a wonderful episode! I love it. It's just sort of weird to me that that is something that would be asked at that point in time. Like you think they would have already at this point, like we've commissioned him, he has a rank. Like, what do you mean? Like, is he a person?
1: I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. At the same time, Donald Duck has a has a military record and an, and an honorary rank. Um, But th- th- this is me speaking with my sci-fi writer hat on. Science fiction is never about the future. It's always about the present. And so in Measure of a Man, uh, the, the episode isn't really about in 300 years, and 400 years, will we be debating the humanity of androids that someone has constructed. It's about right now, are we really recognizing the humanity of the people around us? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah and so. It's, it's, I- I think that's actually the big theme in season one of Picard as well. Picard, like, like I was talking about earlier, con- continuing on from ideas that were developed into in older Trek and developing them. That's what Picard is about, is Picard finally accepting a dialectical synthesis between organic life and the synthetic and finally saying, yes, these people can all be human too.
0: Right, right. Um... So since we're name dropping episodes, I guess I'll ask this, uh, favorite Trek episode. Darmok.
1: That's an easy answer. All right. All right. Um, that's the one that I show people when I want to introduce them to star Trek.
0: And I've seen it said many times. I've had the thought myself even before I saw it like written or posted but it's like um, that episode becomes infinitely more relatable with our meme culture as it grows. Cause it's like, wow, like that's we're we're becoming that with memes now.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's I've never been really convinced by that idea. Because because language is memes. You know, we, we we have these symbols, words. And the only reason that words work is because we have established a consensus about what those words mean, otherwise, they're just arbitrary sounds. Um, I, I think that the, the, the meme thing is is a cover over a, 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 a much deeper layer in in how that episode works. Um, because if 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 you watch the episode and you watch how the Enterprise crew, other than Picard is acting, Riker is unusually belligerent in in Darmok. He he wants to fight the Tamarians. He he's the one who wants to interfere violently to save Picard. In um th- there's in Darmok there's this episode or there's this dialogue between communic- communicating in a quote unquote proper way and communicating through imagery and through um and 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 through metaphor through through storytelling and this echoes with ideas about the western literature way of telling stories versus the non-western way of telling stories. And I say non Western in a very generifying way here, but um, probably the better way to say it is the, the way that capitalism has told us to tell stories that a grown up book doesn't have pictures in it versus something much more organic that communicates more with the subconscious. Um, and how the enterprise crew has difficulty from this perspective of being super advanced and super civilized and the super Western really, uh, has difficulty engaging with these people who are friendly and reaching out actively to the Federation. It's the Tamarians who are initiating all of this in the episode, Um, but who have these marks of being much less westernized and you see this that they carry knives on them um all the actors playing the Tamarians are are black if i remember correctly and one thing that really speaks to me about the episode is that the uh the actor playing daython who paul winfield brilliant Um, actor yeah and what paul winfield did as an actor um beyond his acting role was he did what we would now call sensitivity training so part of his role in screen actors guild was he would be the person who very patiently sat down with people and explained to them about the experiences of being marginalized paul uh, paul winfield was a black man he was also a gay man and this and he had an expertise in communicating this. Uh, And I think that's one of the reasons that he works so well in the role, is you can see him in the role pleading with Picard, please understand, please listen to what I'm trying to say to you, which is a conversation that that I know that I have had as a person with a disability many times. Why don't you get this? I'm trying opening my heart to you i'm sharing this is how the world feels to me why isn't this getting into your head like and
0: this is this is very 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 simplified but um for someone who might not suffer with anything as far as like um disabilities or like any type of mental health issues or conditions it would almost be like if you were to go in a time machine and go back to the eighties and try to like explain anxiety to someone, you know, they're just like, what? Like, no, like, and you're trying to explain it and like they can understand the words you're using, but will have no basis of understanding to allow them or to allow themselves to like empathize with what you're actually saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah, instead they say it's shell shock or it's Patton slapping someone because he's sh- he's scared to go back in the line.
0: Yeah, and he well, calls him a coward, right? Yeah. And then fast forward where we actually study mental health, we're like, oh, wait, actually, you know, that's that's not what we're dealing with here.
1: Yeah. And it's uncomfortable for us because we have to recognize that people we had called heroes did some things that possibly out of ignorance, possibly out of malice, were absolutely terrible. Um, but it's it's a necessary part of growing and maturing. We, we have to have that conversation with each other.
0: Definitely. So let me ask you this. Um, favorite Trek character in general doesn't have to be a captain. Then you have to be a main person. Just favorite Character on track, or a track property.
1: Uh, as a person on the autism spectrum, I, I've always identified very closely with data. Okay. E- okay. Even before we had any idea about diagnosis or labels or anything like that, I, next generation started when I was seven or eight years old, and immediately i clicked my my mother always wanted me to be wesley but i always felt data in my soul um because there is on the one hand that constant bewilderment You, you see that most strongly in season one in data where he's very literal and gives answers to 12 decimal places but um there's also this joy it's it's articulated very well in in skin of when the few things skin of evil does well is when tasha yar is in her own herself eulogy saying goodbye to data she says you see the world with the eyes of a child and data is is, on star trek there's always the character who looks at humanity from the outside there's falk in the original series um there there's well, there's always this Quark and Odo in Deep Space Nine. There's always the observer who is figuring out what, this, what, what these humans actually are. But with Data, Data is the epitome of the explorer because his exploration is not going to strange new worlds to try to civilize them, to bring them into the Federation, to westernize and all this. Data's exploration is everything that's happening around him. He's interested in everything. He wants to know about everything. And he's capable of absorbing everything. And he's trying to make sense of it, of of the whole universe. And that is, that is, that's very familiar. Because I get overwhelmed sometimes just by being in reality. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I feel that a lot.
0: Let me ask you this. I, I, I know a lot of people that identify or have data as their personal favorite don't like uh, Dr. Pulaski. Do you do you have any feelings on her?